Welcome back to the MicroConf podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Tracy Osborne, and she and I did a webinar. You can find it if you want to see the video. You can see us on YouTube, youtube.com slash microconf. And the webinar focused on Tiny Seeds Fall 2021 SaaS Accelerator application process. And it's basically an audience Q&A. We got a ton of questions from, from folks who were viewing and listening. I think we had somewhere between 80 and 100 live viewers. And it was, it was really exciting. And we went for about an hour answered 20 to 30 questions. And these are things like specifics of tiny seed terms, you know, should I apply if I'm in this situation? Why should I apply to tiny seed versus raising revenue-based financing or crowdfunding? Or if I'm in this location in my businesses, this type of business, does it matter? It's just, there were, there were a lot of really good questions and uh, we had a great time doing it. And I felt super energized hearing from people. It was, you know, just a really, I think a positive experience with a lot of energy so if tiny seeds not your thing, if you don't, you know, never want to raise funding, if you don't want to hear more about tiny seeds terms, then obviously this is not an episode for you. But if you have been wondering about the details and to hear more about how Tracy and I think about tiny seed and how we think about the companies we talk to and how we do the evaluation process and what the application process looks like, this this is a great one for you. So let's dive right into the live broadcast. People are coming in. Look at this. Seven, nine. 11. Isn't it going to be interesting to hear me? <laughs> Tracy's going to dance and I'm going to count. Yeah, I know. The world's most interesting webinar is me dancing, you counting. <laughs> yeah. So we have, we have several hundred people registered and we'll give folks just a minute or two to pile in. Looks like we're about to cross 50 attendees, which is, which is nice. This is our first um, application process that is six months after the prior one. The prior three were uh, spaced a year apart. So it's, it's an interesting kind of new experiment for us. Yeah. And I think, you know, how, how are you feeling so far? Yeah, it's, it is really interesting, you know, evolving the program because we had like a good two years of kind of getting everything in place. And so now we're, start, we're starting to make changes. And I think that uh, it's really exciting. I'm really excited about being able to work with more companies. I'm really excited about expanding Tiny Seed, um, like, having like multiple rounds at once is going to be an interesting challenge to try to see how that goes. Uh, so a lot of it's just kind of like what's going to happen. We're going to, we're planning as much as possible, but you know, it's also being aware that you could plan all you want. Um, and then, uh, we just have to see how things happen. I'm very excited for the future year and I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's like any other startup, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stuff we do are, are tested experiments based on, um, some intuition, but also some information we have because, you know, we, we never overlapped six months, but our first program overlapped two months with the second True. year and our yeah. second one, I believe overlapped a month due to COVID or something. So we, we have had overlap, um, before wait, host, there's a, there's a poll up, but hosts <laughs> and panelists can't vote. I was just, <laughs> I was just about to vote. <laughs> I know, right? I, I'm curious. What, was, what would you answer, Rob? Well, what I, part of the accelerator program is most valuable to you? Single choice, mentorship, community, or funding? Well, I'm not going to say it yet because it'll it'll stuff the ballot box, right? Oh, that's People true. will be that's like, oh, point. that's the answer. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious. Once once we see it, uh, the responses, I'm curious for us to weigh in. Mm -hmm. All right. I feel like um, things are good and we should probably get rolling. We're a couple minutes in. So welcome everyone to this Tiny Seed information session. Um, it's great to have you here. And uh, you know this will be recorded and on YouTube for folks who may not be able to make the entire thing, or if you know of a, a friend or founder who's considering, you know, who couldn't make it 
Um, it'd be great if you'd pass this along. I am Rob Walling. I'm the co-founder of Tiny Seed and the co-founder of MicroConf and the host of Startups for the Rest of Us. And um, I'm really excited to chat through some questions today. And to my right is Tracy Osborne. She is Tracy Makes on Twitter. Tracy, you want to give yourself a couple sentence bio there? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I, well, as mentioned, I'm Tracy. I'm the program director of Tiny Seed. So I kind of run the day to day operations of the program and kind of keep everything rolling and on time and the lead person for questions and helping vendors out and kind of booking events and all that kind of jazz. Um, previously, I ran a startup called Wedding Lovely, um, which was shut down after like eight or nine or so years. That's a whole story. There's a microconf um, talk I did on that on that story. Uh, but I love entrepreneurship. I'm also a author, self-published author of one book. And then I'm also, um, my most recent book, Hello Web Design has come out, uh, was published by No Starch Press and came out a couple months ago. So do a little bit of everything, but the day-to-day -day job is running the accelerator program um, and keeping basically all the trainings running on time. Very good. And last year when we were going to do this information session, you know, we, we blocked out an hour for it. And I remember we were a little panicked that maybe we're only going to get like four questions and run to 20 minutes and then run out. Um, and last year at, you know, 59, 59, we were still frantically asking questions. So I don't want to belabor, uh, you know, too much upfront information, but, um, so I'm going to assume that folks who are on this have at minimum read, you know, through at least part of the tiny seed FAQ that they understand that, you know, our terms are 120,000 for the first founder, 60,000 for the second, 40,000 for the third, for between 10 and 12% equity, depending on the stage of your company. So those are the investment terms, but Tracy, you want to give folks an overview, you know, really of what the, what tiny seed does for people what the accelerator year looks like, just what the program offers, because funding is, is not, not only, I, I would say not only a part of it, but it's a small part of it. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of companies that come into tiny seed don't need the funding and it's more for all the other stuff that Tracy's about to talk about. Yeah. Like tiny seed, I know, the funding is nice, but, um, we, uh, we're not just investors. Like we really believe in the accelerator model. We model, we really want to spend the accelerator year that people are in the program to, to take them. What is it that you say, Rob, escape velocity. I like using that term Take them to yep. escape velocity. You know, you're already going up and we want to just ex accelerate that curve. So it's a year-long program. Uh, when people start the program, we start off with the first three months of what we call the Tiny Seed Playbook. So we are devoted to SaaS. We are very focused on SaaS. And the playbook is uh, the Tiny Seed's team's uh, opinionated advice on some of the biggest topics that affect most businesses that we fund. Um, that we fund. So things like pricing and... Um, let's see, onboarding, and we do some design sessions, and we have things on M&A and fundraising. So the first third of the program or something is basically like education. And then we roll into bringing on mentors. Uh, we have some of the best mentors in SAS as a part of Tennessee. We have both experienced founders, like uh, the Basecamp folks, Rand Fishkin of Moz and uh, Spark Toro, uh, Laura Roeder of, um, uh-oh, Laura Roeder, Laura Roeder is Magic uh, Bell, meet, right? Meet Edgar. No. Meet Edgar. Okay, sorry. Paperbell. <laughs> Paperbell. That's what it was. Yes, Paperbell. And we also have subject matter experts like April Dunford for positioning um, and uh, uh, Samuel Hulick for uh, onboarding. So we have a, like a whole roster of mentors. We bring those in for mentor meetings throughout the year. We do Q&As with them. People get like one-on-one -on -one help with these mentors. 
Uh, we also have a Slack group. You know, we have a little online community. Um, hopefully this year we are going to be doing in-person retreats so people can get together in person and we can do a little bit of work, a little bit of play together and kind of form the connections between all the people who are in the Accelerator program. Uh, anything else I'm missing in terms of the program? No, I mean, that's those are the, the details of it. I think, you know, the, the high level is it's funding, it's mentorship and advising, and it's an incredibly strong network and kind of anything you want to do, we know people who have done it or who can give you advice on it or whom you can, you know, we have vetted resources that you can hire. And then it's the community. It's a super tight-knit community. I mean, much like Y Combinator before us, where you'll hear founders go in there saying they they found more value from the actual community than other aspects of it. I and mean, we, you know, with this batch, this is our fourth batch we're funding, we're going to be north of 60 companies funded. And these are ambitious B2B SaaS startups, you know, in the six and seven figures of annual recurring revenue. And they're all, they're not venture track. They're not looking to, you know, become billion dollar companies. So they're just like you, you know, like you in the, in the audience who's watching this. And there aren't, I don't know of another place, you know, MicroConf and TinySeed, MicroConf became kind of the, the worldwide hub for that. And TinySeed is the fund and the accelerator for that. And so that's, if that's your track, like it's the, it's the place to be. Mm-hmm. All right. We already have questions pouring in, which is great. Um, Udit Goenka, sorry about your name. I, I, my pronunciation, I'm sure I'm, might be Goenka. Um, can we be a part of Tiny Seed for the mentorship in the community without accepting investment or selling equity? M- raising money is not our primary objective due to the stage we're at with our company. And I think as I said before, I mean, I guess I didn't mention numbers, but in our last batch, about 75 to 80% of the companies didn't actually need the money. They didn't do it for the money. They were in the 30 to 100,000 MRR range. They didn't need a, the, the R120K. They did it for the mentorship, for the community, for the network, for all the other things that you're looking for. So the answer is no, we can't, we're, we're, we're not a nonprofit. You know, we can't provide the mentorship and the network and all that for no equity um, because there would be no, we would be out of business next year, right? Um, so uh, that's that. Uh, Paul Loeb has a question. I read on the website, the funding can be used to pay the founder's salary at a rate of a typical software engineer. Hmm. However, that amount is guaranteed to be greater than 120K. How does this work? Tracy, so A, we need to update... Yeah, so there was, that was um, old terms. In, it's been updated. Uh, it was insubmittable. It snuck into the description for oh, the last okay. fo- last form. So I updated that this morning. We've updated our terms. So the salary cap is no longer set at a um, software engineer's salary in the closest city. That was too nebulous. It was too hard to kind of figure out every city, and there's lots of situations and whatnot. So we've actually updated the salary cap. Uh, across the board for every previous company and future company to 250,000 US dollars. Um, so that's a quite a high salary. Obviously, it's not a salary setting is a salary cap. So your salary can be anywhere below 250,000 US dollars. Um, when you reach the point of that, you know, that salary and, you know, you're sorry, if it's successful enough that you want to pay yourself more, then you can issue dividends. And that's kind of how Tiny C will share um, in that in your business at that point, because we would receive a share of those dividends because it's based on the um, percentage of um, ownership. So $250,000, hopefully that's large enough for anyone for quite a few years to you know, not hit that cap. Um, and then that cap exists so that the dividends get issued at some point for Tiny C. 
Yeah, and for reference, at the venture-funded startups that I've been a part of or know of, usually 250K is what the CEO and the COO make after they've raised five or 10 million. So should be plenty for everyone. Um, I think Paul's question is, he says, you know, you're saying that you have a cap. I like, Tracy, that you introduced that word cap. It doesn't mean you have to pay yourself this. We have founders in our program who live very inexpensively, who pay themselves two or $3,000 a month, and all the rest they're investing back in their business, and it gives them a ton of runway. We have some other founders who have higher burn, personal burn. And so they pay themselves. I don't know that anyone's paying themselves a cap right now, but people are approaching that. And to Paul's question, um, we give 120,000 in funding, but what if you give yourself $250,000 salary? Well, you're going to burn through your money in six months then, unless you have revenue. That's the idea, right? That's why, you know, we're, we're not expecting you to have zero MRR, uh, when you apply. So you're a founder and you make the choice of what you pay yourself, but we will give you advice. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're burning 15 or 20,000 a month and you have no employees, like that's, you're not going to last very long. So you just have to use, you know, use your sense in terms of running, running your business. Mohammed Aboshanab says, I do uh, have already raised pre-seed funding. So am I eligible to apply? I'm based in the UK and looking to move myself with the startup to the United States. So the answer is it depends on what form your pre-seed funding has taken. Um, if someone has purchased equity at a certain valuation, then we will, st we, our terms are, uh, they're pretty standard and we will purchase at our valuation. And so if you're prior investors and you are okay with our valuation, great, that works. If you have raised a safe or convertible note, um, that converts at a future funding round, we are a priced round. So Again, you and your investors would have to be okay with convert with the, that equity converting at our price. The exception is a lot of safes and convertible notes have a minimum funding amount uh, to have a conversion. So they'll say like, if you raise less than 250K, then it doesn't count as a, as a, a convertible funding round. Or if you raise that less than 500K, you know, that's usually the range. And we are obviously below that. So in that case, we have had, I believe, one or two companies come in with safes or convertible notes and, and we funded and they didn't convert on our round, but if they raise a future round or they sell, it will. So that's the gist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have some of, the, some of those questions in the application and kind of digs into some of those points. We added that this time around. Um, and I want to say that those answers to your question, when you say like, oh, I, I, you know, to the questions about where you're incorporated or um, any kind of those digging questions, nothing is set in stone. We're asking those questions so that we can follow up, um, do follow up emails or questions later. Um, so either in a email or in the um, first round of interviews or whatnot. So when it comes to those answers, if you don't know, you're not sure, you have questions, feel free to answer, write those in and we'll follow up with you. Um, but the application definitely is not set in stone. It's just meant to kind of start that conversation. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, you know, we get several hundred applications and we literally go through and look at Tracy at least looks at every single one of them. And then ANR and I believe, look, yeah, it's, it's ANR <laughs> and I look at almost all of them, but there are a few that, you know, whatever, don't make the first cut. Um, so we, it really is a lot of this is case by case where we look at it and we'll ask you questions. And do you have a, this and that, you know, we, we have experienced a lot of, um, edge cases. And so, you know, I appreciate these questions. Next question. David Williams says geographically and with the program in mind, are we to Di significant disadvantage if we are based in the UK. It's David from profitizer.app. So Tracy, there's two things here. There's a UK entity 
right? David, if you're based in the UK and have a US entity, no problem. But then the second thing I think you might be asking is uh, location and time zones. You want to address that piece of it? Yeah. So um, when we raised, well, we're in the process of raising our European fund, which is specifically going to... Um, I can say that right. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're just starting. Yep. I was just making sure. I was like, oh no, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're raising this fund so we can have tiny seed Europe and UK. Um, and so we can invest directly in startups who are in um, in those time zones in UK who are uh, not incorporated in the US. I'm very excited for that. Hopefully there'll be more information, say at the beginning of 2022 and what that looks like when the program will start because um, it kind of depends on the fundraising. So that said, um, the, the this fall 2021 batch is coming out of our second fund, which we just raised, which was 27 million, which is awesome. Um, that was raised uh, to invest specifically in North American time zones. And so that's kind of where this question, like our requirements come up. Um, Rob, would you say like, how would you say how strict that is? Um, I don't know if I can answer that. Yeah. I mean, specifically, um, we are looking for um, U.S. entity, U.S. Yeah. and Canadian entities. And then I think someone's right now we have a mid-batch person who's probably coming in who is converting to like a U.S. Virgin Islands company, yeah. but it, it's still U.S. Right. law and U.S. related. Um, if you are a U.K. limited company and you are not willing or any, you know, anything outside the Americas and are not willing to convert to some C-Corp, an LLC, a Canadian entity, um, then you would want to wait for our European fund, which, you know, TBD, six months um, till yeah, our batch, soon. nine yeah, months. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. next year. But yeah. if you have- it's Definitely not, definitely next year, not like five years from now, yeah. where we're trying to go very fast in that direction. But if you, if you are willing to convert or you already have a US-based, uh, again, a US, a Canadian, you know, an America's-based um, entity, we have- tons of founders who live in Europe or live mm -hmm. in other places. Yeah. So that your location is, um, is less relevant. The only thing is then time zones. I mean, we do schedule the, a lot of our calls between like yeah. noon and two central time. And so that gets a little later on, on your time, it's but we a, have yeah. to cater to a lot. It's up to the founder. Like in our current batch, we have some people that were in Thailand, which has been a very, um, it's a hard time zone. So, you know, yep. they're opting in not to, to show up live to our events, but everything that we do is recorded. It's put onto like a private founder dashboard so people to review later. So if you're in a time zone that doesn't, isn't conducive to attending any of our live events, you can review it afterwards. Right. So I want to remind folks to use the Q&A function in Zoom because there's chat at the bottom. But if, if you go to the bottom of Zoom and look to the right, almost next to that leave button, uh, there is a Q&A. And that is much easier because then producer Xander is able to, to track them and, uh, and mark those questions when they're answered. Next question from Harris. Yeah, a lot are coming through. Harris Kenny, I'm happy <laughs> to see you're open to funding a company that's relying on productized services to grow into a software company sure that's 100% correct. Do you have any advice for how to talk about where companies like this are in the journey when applying for tiny seed? So we've had we have a few companies who have a productized service in essence built on top of SaaS, but their SaaS revenue was at a minimum you know it, it met our minimum bar uh, in terms of having a software company already and this and the productized service was um, a, either a way to grow revenue faster or just an additional revenue stream. So if you are a productized service and you have no software written, um, you wouldn't be a fit for us today. You're not a SaaS company. Uh, you are a productized service, which is different. If you are in the process of building a SaaS from your productized service, then build that, launch it, 
get some SaaS revenue and apply to TinySeed. And the beauty is, is it's not every year now, it's every six months. And when, you know, when we add Europe next year, it'll, there'll be even more opportunities to do it. But we do, you know, product services are nice because you can charge, you can charge a lot for them. Um, they don't scale as easily as software, but they're certainly helpful in the early days. Question, what are some key aspects you look for in companies that you select? So uh, I will go first on this. The short answer, there's a really long answer and we're not going to do that one. There's like a, <laughs> we have a Google doc with 40 something bullets in it that we look at. I look at people, product market fit and pricing. And so the people is we're, we're talking to the founders. Do we think these founders are, are going to get it done? Have they a proven track record of, of shipping and getting things done? Do they take action or, you know, are they victims? Are they sitting around saying, oh, it's not my fault that my, you know, my product isn't working or I got screwed here or there. Like, or are they pushing it and, and getting it done? So that's the people. Um, uh, someone asked solo founders. Yes, we fund a lot of solo founders. I think we actually fund more solo founders than two-person teams, um, which is on, which is the opposite of most you know accelerators mm -hmm. and most venture funds. Um, so that was people. Uh, product market fit is just that. Have you built something people want and are willing to pay for? And this is a spectrum. So you know you could say at two thousand MRR, I have some product market fit, and at ten or fifteen K, I have a lot of product market fit. I mean, that, that's a general range, but it's, it doesn't always hold true. We've I've seen companies with thirty K MRR who really still haven't found product market fit or found it with just a very small audience and are plateauing and then have to expand out. Um, but definitely, if you have zero MRR, you've shown that you haven't yet built something people are willing to pay for. You, know, you haven't proven that yet. Um, and if you're and at that's Fiverr the main reason why we ask for people who are post revenue, like because yeah. we get a lot of questions asking, like, oh, I have a pre revenue company. Oh, I'm still working on like collecting emails, but it's a really great idea. Um, and this is the primary reason why we um, we uh, that this aspect of what we're looking for is why we don't allow people who are pre revenue. Right. And and here's the thing. It, revenue is not everything. Revenue is not the only signal. It's not like we sort on MRR and just make an offer to the top 10. That's not how it works. It's, it, there really are a bunch of factors. And so people is one, product market fit is another, and uh, pricing or price sensitivity is a big one that I look at. If you're selling to consumers and you're charging $9 a month and your churn is really high, you're going to plateau pretty quick, even in a big market. If you uh, have can have higher price points, if you have uh, enterprise price points and you know your churn is low, then you have less price sensitivity and you have more price flexibility. So those are my three P's that I look at. Tracy, you have other, other things to add? No, I've, I pretty much learned from you. <laughs> so a lot of my experience in, the, in, the, in this is coming directly from you and Adar. Um, I can't think of anything else I would add to that. Yeah, I think that was a pretty uh, complete answer. Awesome. Great. Um, Nelson asked what, I'm just skipping around. Sorry, producer Xander. What startup from, I'll be back in the outline in a second. What startup, what about startups from Africa? We can register our company in the U.S. and apply for the accelerator. Yes, we have actually had some African companies apply and have had conversations with them. So um, please do. Next question from Mihai Sava. Uh, boy, how many questions are here? I don't know. I'll, I'll just start reading. Question one. We've launched our product two months ago. We have signed a contract with one company to start using our product. In the agreement, we have fixed uh, KPIs, which are key performance indicators on how much we're going to achieve in terms of revenue for year one, two, and three, along with the profit share. 
Can we count that against MRR in your application? I don't understand what you're asking. So maybe in maybe in the application, do the, take your best guess, and then there's like a notes field or there's something, and just explain it because I don't understand mm -hmm. what the profit share is versus the the KPIs. Um, and this is a very specific question, so I don't necessarily want to you know d dig into it when we have twenty or twenty more coming in. Um, also, we have some. MOU, which is what a something of a memorandum of understanding signed with two other companies waiting to use our product. Can we put that somewhere in the application? Yes, there is a, there's an open text field somewhere, right, Tracy? So this is the kind yeah. of stuff, explain it, but explain it in detail, like explain really like is an, is, is an MOU that they have committed to purchase and at what price? Like we need to know all those numbers. Um, or is it they are considering purchasing if you hit milestones in the future, you know, then it might be a, hey, come back and apply later. Yeah. And, you know, and if there's any fields that seem to be missing, feel free to send me an email at hello at tinyac.com, or you can message me directly through your submittable application, which is the platform we're using for the applications. I can grab anything that doesn't fit and I can stick it on your application with my end. Um, so, you know, don't, don't worry if things don't fit exactly. Like I'm going to read through all your applications and I, you know, I'm not going to just judge them based on whether everything is the right place. I'm going to read through it like a human. It's totally fine. Um, so feel free to put answers in a different place and say, Hey, this refers to something else or send me an email. I can switch it up. It's totally all is, uh, it's all flexible. It's fine. Evan Howard says we're three weeks into a PLG pivot from sales led and I had never heard of PLG, so I, I was going to say, what's it. PLG? Well, okay. here, yeah. I put typed PLG into Google just to see, and here's the definitions it gives me. Number one, pretty little girl. Number two, progressive <laughs> librarians guild. Number three, private lights <laughs> goods. Number four, play golf holdings PLC. So I'm thinking it's not these. Down uh, about on the fifth result, it says, what is PLG? Product stand led for? growth. There it is. Uh, Product okay. led I know. I got to it. It was a joke. It had to be entertaining. <laughs> we're just answering questions. This is boring. All right. Here's, we're three weeks into a product led growth pivot from sales led, right? And you know how product like sales led growth would be outbound and doing a lot of sales stuff where a product is um, more going to be on the marketing side. And we do have MRR, but it's low and it depends. So what is low, right? Would you say apply now anyway, or wait six months and check back? We'd benefit more from the mentorship community funding now than in six months, but may not have impressive numbers. Um, oh, no problem, Evan. I, that it's, it's all good, man. I was, <laughs> it's just a fun little, little thing to chat about. Okay. Um, I mean, my gut is always, Honestly, it's like, if you're in doubt, apply because what is it? Is it taking 20 minutes to do this? Like we're not, you, you should know your MRR and your churn. Like we don't ask for stuff that, that takes, it's not a two hour application. It shouldn't be a two hour. If it's a two hour application, you, you honestly, you don't know your business that well. And so in my opinion, if you, if you're in doubt, you should apply because you don't have much to lose. We we've had many companies apply twice and we had uh, Cloud Forecast applied three times and got in on their third time, right? It took. They three applied every single application. Yep. That should be clear. It's like every single application we put out, Cloud Forecast uh, applied was denied twice. Yeah, um, and got in but they kept showing up, and to to the people, product market fit and pricing, like they kept showing up. They actually found more product market fit over the two years. They, they showed us that their price, people weren't price sensitive and the founder showed that they showed us that they showed up and were able to get traction. So the other thing is these applications are often, we will often have a conversation. And then if we, if we don't wind up having a spot for you, we will frequently say, please, we, we've know each other. We've seen each other face-to-face -face on Zoom. I kind of have an understanding of your business now. 
send us your updates. Like if send us a monthly update and then apply again in six months. And by that time, we're even more familiar. I read every, I think I get 70 something updates um, from Tiny Seed and then other investments and then from non-investments and we read them. Um, uh, yes. So anyways, the, the, the apply, I think is a little. Uh, oh, <laughs> Xander just sent me a message in the chat that I answered a question. Awesome. Um, sorry about that. Xander, if you click on answer live, I think I would notice, I would know that was going to be an answer live question. All right. So is, did you answer a question that we should answer? Uh, on I just air? asked something about, I think it's, I think it was the typical, <laughs> <laughs> I'm making sure Xander feel bad. <laughs> you told me I could type answers. <laughs> Anyways, um, what did I answer? I think that was the ARR question. Okay, I don't know anymore. So, um, anyways, I answered a question that was uh, that was in that's in the Q and A answer. What does area. a tip, Chris Christopher Mannion? What does a typical company look like ARR, et cetera, when entering the program? Is there a size that is too big for Tiny Seed? No, there is not. And that's the typical thing is each yeah. batch has looked different. The first batch was at earlier stage. Second batch, people were further along, and the third batch, people, you know, it, it's it's really a mix. And anything we say will. Um, I think it's just too limiting. It's like last batch, we didn't accept anyone under 2K MRR, I believe. And it would be nice if, if from our perspective, we can continue to do that because, um, man, when you're at a thousand MRR, you, it can take you six to 12 months just to get to 5K, right? You just don't know yet. Um, but that's not a hard and fast rule. Let's say we don't get the applicants that we need and we want to fill the batch. Well, then we might, you know, take some folks that are at a different spot. And again, MRR is not, it's one of several factors. It's not the only factor. Sean, also, okay. I, have, I want to jump in actually on the previous awesome. question where we were talking about some of the metrics. It occurred to me, I actually did something. I, in, we asked some things about metrics. We, caught, we asked about uh, what's your lifetime value and churn and whatnot. And I have this like flashback to when I was running my last startup and I knew what my revenue was, but a lot of the acronyms are still confusing to me. I was still building a SaaS, but you know, I wasn't like say delved into those acronyms. I linked to some resources for how to calculate those. If, if you are new to like kind of calculate all your metrics, if you have like a SaaS that's running and you're new to that, uh, feel free to to either send me an email and ask any questions, or I can click through some of those resources um, if that's just something that is new to you. Um, so that's, I think that's the only part of the application. If you're not already doing those kind of tracking or not really aware of that side of the things, might take you some time just to do those calculations, but it's a really good practice to do too. Um, and now that I, you know, I didn't do it in my last startup, it's one of my biggest regrets. Um, so if you're not doing it, if you're not tracking some of these metrics, um, now is the time to do it, and then you'll need that for your application. So when I said, if you don't know these numbers, you don't know your business very well, did you take offense at that? Were you like, er? Oh, I just thought, I just thought of myself, my previous founder. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. I do know, know my business, but then right. it's like those kind of things. Now that I'm in tiny seed and now I, now that I know how valuable those metrics are, I look back and I, I can see like previous Tracy didn't know, but current Tracy, it kind of understands that mindset. So just wanted to bring that up. I did link to some resources for those, those, um, those fields. All right. Sean McAuliffe says, I'm a bit confused by the investment. You accept uh, lower MRR companies, but offer 120K for, he says 10%, but our, really our standard terms are 120K for 12%. That is our standard offer. Um, and then he says, but you also mentioned six-figure and seven-figure ARR. Can you elaborate as to what this might look like for an early stage company? So yeah, our standard terms are 120K for the first founder, 60K for the second, 40 for the third. We've never funded a four-person company, a founder team, and I don't know that we will. We tend to be, to be honest, we have a bias towards smaller founding teams. What, that's the pattern that we've seen in bootstrappers who get it done. Usually it's one or two-person teams. Um, 
And I love how this is the opposite of YC because it is like YC is like multiple founders. That's one of the big, you know, the ways right. that we look at the industry. That's kind of different and that's, than YC. And, and I, like, I like that. A lot of things are, I mean, look, we have a lot of respect for YC. Anar went through YC. Your husband went through YC. Like we have connections there. And I have, mm-hmm. I've been a fan of, P, of Paul Graham forever. I've read his books when they came out. Like we, it's, it's, it's just a different model, right? It's, uh, I have a lot of respect for, for what they built. And certainly we are standing on the, on the shoulders of giants, but we're kind of trying to go back to, you know, first principles, so to speak, and say, what is best for our bootstrappers? Um, and so the bottom line is our standard terms, 120 plus 60 plus 40, uh, and that is for 12%. And so low, whatever, low MRR companies, whatever that means, standard MRR companies, that's the deal. Um, there are some companies that come, uh, in with, re, like I said, you know, six figure, seven figure error and those we have a conversation with. And, uh, you know, so we do have that 10, we do have uh, a small amount of flexibility, um, in our terms. And again, I'd encourage, if you're in doubt, I'd encourage you to apply and have a conversation with us. We are, <laughs> we are really friendly people. Um, and yeah, uh, I try to, I try to take pride in my, my friendly and, and totally. down to earth responses. Whenever, whenever an email comes into hello at tiny seed that goes straight to me. So, um, please feel free to fill my inbox with questions. I'm happy to answer them. All right. Um, Chase Fleming says, does company type matter LLC versus C-Corp? Tracy, do we care? We don't care. If you're U.S., uh, if incorporated in the U.S., we don't, it doesn't have to be like a Delaware C-Corp. You don't have to convert to sell Delaware C-Corp like all those things that their investors do. Um, LLCs and C-Corps are uh, in any state uh, works for us. Venkat says, can you give a couple examples of where mentorship has made a practical difference to your founders? I'm smiling big because I can rattle off like 30, but all right. No, example- no, no, you go first. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no. no. What, what examples, yeah, you don't want to, examples where the difference is to help helping sell to enterprise, reducing the sales cycle would be good to know from dealplus.io. Tracy, you want to go no, first? No, you want me to go? I, okay. You got so excited that I was like, oh, you, I you just started mean- looking at me and I was like, no, 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 this is all you, man. Yeah. Well, it's like the. <laughs> I'm so excited. So the, the tiny seed playbook, uh, is the first seven, give or take, it's like the first seven modules of the program. And, and Anar and I walk through 101 and 102 level stuff on pricing and funnels and sales and M and A and fundraising. If you decide to do that, um, and a couple, lead gen and a couple other things. Um, and every time we talk, go through the pricing one, you can look at the revenue graphs of I'd say, but uh, yep, about mm-hmm. between 20 and 40% of the companies, if we look back to the month, the the week that we do the pricing talk within a few weeks, it, it's a, There's forget a jump, the expression. Yeah. It's like a hockey, you know, it's a hockey yeah. stick and in, in, it's a bootstrapper hockey stick, right? It's not, <laughs> but it's like, it's incredible. And so we just, we encourage folks that with that, um, we have had, and that's just, that's Anar and I, it's not counting the 40 mentors we have and the advice, uh, you know, yeah, I just like introduced someone to Taylor Hendrickson who does a lot with like social, like paid campaigns. So he was able to walk through with the founder through all of the paid campaigns that they had set up. Um, I kind of like debugged it and gave his advice. And the founder said to me, Neville, being like, this is so valuable. This is really amazing. And that's like, those are the kind of moments that make this whole thing worth it. It's like really awesome to see, you know, whenever we connect to a mentor again, cause we have these like subject matter experts that are just like really, really good in a specific area. Um, it's really great to seeing what kind of results that someone can get when they can get that like shortcut advice rather than kind of going through and trying to learn it themselves from scratch. Right. And I mean, another example, you and I, Tracy walked through a founder's 
funnel and each recorded a loom for him. And mm -hmm. you recorded it from like a design UX perspective or UI. And I recorded it from like a conversion rate optimization perspective. And, I, and we both, you and I both overlapped, but he implemented those and came back and was like, my conversion rates up. I don't even remember what the number, it was like ridiculous. It was like 50% or something based on what you guys said. So again, that's our, that's our internal information, but our mentors, you know, uh, also have that. Venkat's question, he was saying, helping sell to enterprises, reducing sales cycle. That's yes. AR, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's A&R, that's, you know, there's like David Heller and batch one with is doing enterprise right. sales. Like there is a huge number of our uh, founders who are doing enterprise sales and we have best practices. We jump in Slack, someone asks a question. It's like, oh, here's that thread where we addressed exactly how to do this six months ago or whatever. So a lot of good stuff there. Anil Gupta says, how does it work if there is already a company outside the U.S.? Do we need to roll it up into a new company in the U.S. or can we have some kind of mutually exclusive agreement between the two companies? Um, you can't just do a mutually exclusive agreement like a licensing or something. There has to be, because we own equity in an entity and there can't be a legal way for you to like funnel money out of that entity. And so, I, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. Um, we have had co companies with form another, you know, they're in a, a foreign uh, jurisdiction and they form a US or a Can Canadian one and they link that one owns the other one. It's a wholly owned subsidiary or something like that. So it, it's all possible. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, some in other these situations, like we have a lawyer on our end, so you loop in your lawyer on your end. Like if we send an offer, we can kind of figure out what's the best way to pr proceed forward. So these kind of situations aren't necessarily a blocker to being investment. It's, again, it's just the start of a conversation and we're happy to kind of work through what it would take for us to invest in you. And we can have that conversation at that point. Luke Porter asks, we've been trading since 2013. That means in business for those who aren't up with the UK lingo. Uh, we're doing 118K MRR, but we want to grow and have help recruiting people to take the business forward. Um, with us being around for so long, would we be considered or is it more for initial startups that have been going for one to two years? Tracy? I was going to say, that sounds great. I mean, that sounds like amazing. The, yeah. the tiny seed program, I think a lot of it is like why we're relying on not just investment, why we have the education and the component and all the mentorship and advice and all the hands-on work that we do with these companies. Cause a lot of people can roll in saying like, Hey, we've been rolling for a long time. We don't see where our weaknesses are and we can help you find those weaknesses and fix those weaknesses and hopefully get you to, you know, again, escape velocity, get you to the next level. Yep. So really the age of the company is, is not relevant. We, we do, that is not a factor, you know, in the big spreadsheet or the big uh, list of things we look at, we don't, I mean, we ask how long, but it doesn't really matter. The only thing it impacts, I think, is if your growth rate has been stagnant for years, we'll ask, why is that? And then mm -hmm. how can we help you? We want to know how we can help you get out of that because otherwise it, you shouldn't be selling us equity and we shouldn't be investing if we don't think we can actually help you break out of that. So good question. Udit asks, will Tiny Seed help us in raising a Series A in the future? And is the percentage of equity negotiable with Tiny Seed? So we have had, the answer is, if you want to raise follow-on funding, usually it's a pre-seed round. Usually you start with an accelerator round, then a pre-seed, then a seed, then a Series A. Series A's are like 10 million now. So the, the nomenclature has changed. But all that said, if you're talking about raising another half million dollars or a million dollars in the future, or even more than that, yes, we will assist. We have had, we, we obviously don't do it for you. You have to create a deck and you're channeling investors. Um, and we have had several founders raise additional funding after Tiny Seed. 25%, and that's, right? Have, I think have something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a large number. And that's the thing. Tiny Seed's terms, we want to give you optionality. If you never want to raise again, 
great. You want to run a profitable business, pull dividends out, great. If you want to sell it for 10 million bucks, great. If you want to go on and raise a pre-seed or a series A, or even, you know, go on the venture track, cool. We're, we're, our terms allow for all of that and we will support, you know, the decision you make. Um, Phil Dearson says for successful accelerator participants outside the United States, is there any help provided in to form that Delaware Corp? What do we have for free as well, a tiny seat perk? I mean, we, our lawyer has helped with finding other lawyers, helping people find like a local counsel for them. Oh, Stripe um, Atlas. Stripe oh, and Stripe Atlas. Atlas, of course, yes. I there totally we go. About I was, yes. I was, that was like a bump set. I was just waiting for you to. Just I know, do this and I whip on it. it. <laughs> so we have Stripe Atlas. I really They've like given... our lawyer. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we talk he's about so it. helpful. I just want to constantly talk about how Jay and how helpful he is. But yes, yeah. we have the Stripe Atlas benefits. So it's um, free and free incorporation um, through Stripe using their Atlas program. Um, and Stripe has made that whole process like way simpler Incredibly than it easy. ever was before. Yeah. Yep. And normally I believe they charge 500 for it, but because we yeah. have a partnership have with a them. We have a free deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, several of our founders internationally who've wanted to incorporate have used it and it gives you a Stripe account and a bank account at, I forget what the bank is now, but, uh, and then. Might uh, be Mercury, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, I know. I think it changed, but yeah. I, it might be, we like Mercury. I like them. Yeah, All right. we do like Mercury. Mm -hmm. Brian Crone says, we have a mobile health app that currently is direct to consumer, but B2B is an important channel we want to build out. Do we need B2B revenue before we should apply? I want to say no. I want to but... say, yeah. Again, I err on the side of applying. Mm -hmm. If all things being equal, if another health app applies and they have B2B revenue, they will have a notch above you, but usually all things are not equal. And so I would say, especially, I mean, direct to consumer revenue is tough because usually churn is high price points low, but if look, if you have five or 10 K of MRR and you can show us that there's an avenue to, to B2B revenue, um, I would say take the 20 minutes. Let's have a car. Let's apply and, you know, yep. see if we have a conversation. Anil Gupta says, if we have product market fit in another country, does that qualify? We spoke to someone in the last batch. Um, we didn't wind up making them an offer, but remember they had uh, an app in a vertical, pretty tight vertical, and it was only in a country, like it was like Germany or something. And so we couldn't well, even read the website, right? We were like, yeah. Ah. That's true. I mean, there's Localizer, who is largely in the Middle East. That's right. So yep. um, their product have, market fits there. And... I mean, they're moving North America based, but they were primarily in, in the Middle East before applying to Tennessee. Yep. And um, oh man, it's all these names. There's 41 companies. Uh, legal. It's just going to get worse. Lexco. Yeah, Lexco. Lexco is in, in South America. Yeah. Right America. Their whole their mm -hmm. whole market is down there. So absolutely, yeah. We are not. Uh, we we are we are a product market fit country agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Mardo Alberto Del Cid Portillo says, I have a small startup generating $4,000 worth of crypto a month from NFT game scholarships. Would this be a startup for Tiny Seed even if it doesn't have a software side of things? I'm not sure. I don't think this is B2B SaaS. Yeah, I mean, so like we don't want to be picky, but one of the reasons why we say B2B SaaS, definitely SaaS and like largely B2B SaaS is because of that education program, mentorship, our expertise is all in that area. So we wanna make sure that if you join TinyC, we're actually able to help you. For things like crypto and um, crypto, we don't have a lot of experience in that. 
I don't think that would be a right fit for you. I'm not sure a lot of the topics that we go through would actually apply for your business. That's the problem, right? If you look, if you have a crypto startup, that's like a B2B crypto startup that is processing payments via crypto or, or is it whatever an exchange, just whatever, think of whatever B2B crypto app. Absolutely. If you're a SaaS app that involves crypto, we would love that. I'm a big, most of us are into crypto in one way or another, right? On the team. Um, I'm married to an expert. Yeah. Yeah. And in our, you know, you know, jokes about uh, crypto oh, gosh, going to the moon. Don't follow him on Twitter. Hodling and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we're all about it. But yeah, if you're generating crypto in a kind of a B2C, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, we I just want to be able to help. And so that would be big... something that we, we we would have a hard time, I think. Right. It's like my, my advice on pricing and marketing funnels isn't really going to going to apply to you. David Shaw says, I'm founding a startup based in Northern Ireland, UK Limited. I'd be keen to register interest about the EU UK accelerator, the EU accelerator. Is it possible to register interest for that now, or would it be worth applying for fall 2021 batch and following the process from there? Good question. I mean, I, so I like to save applications in our application system and move them over if they make sense. Um, so I've done that. We had a, what we call our mid-batch application that was up. And so there's people who can apply between application processes. Um, and if they're not a good fit for mid-batch application, which is the whole thing, it's much higher requirements because it requires kind of breakout of our like application model. If they don't match those requirements, then often it makes sense to hold their application until that next round. I don't have a system in place for this UK round. I would assume that would be the way that would go though. I just don't have like the application up. We don't have a timeline yet because um, we're still kind of doing the fundraising. Uh, so, I mean, feel free to apply and see, you know, we're, again, we're happy to have that conversation with you. Um, happy to see, uh, you know, talk to you if, but if you do indeed want to incorporate, if you want to wait, if you just want to see what the application process is like, um, I don't think it would be that big of an issue. Right. And at a minimum, minimum, tinyc.com enter your email so that you're on that. Cause we're certainly going to be announcing oh, yeah, totally. to the list, yeah. right? Minimum, the list minimum. is always first, um, the email list. So it's like everywhere on our website, there is an email field somewhere. Um, right. Like I think it's on slash apply. I think it's in our footer or whatnot. So make sure you're on your email list and you'll definitely get that first um, first announcement of the details of the program when it's right. set up. Right. And if you apply, we'll, we'll chat with you as well. Um, kind of a follow-up question. Uh, can you, I think from a different asker, um, can you talk more about your European fund? I'm not totally opposed to converting to a US one, but if that can be avoided, that's obviously better. Would the mentors and the rest of the program be exactly the same here? Uh, well, they they can't be because A, people only have so much time and B, uh, time zones become a little bit of an issue as we dig in. So yeah, there's kind of going to be some overlap in mentors. Um, this is another area again, we're still figuring out because the European one is a, is a bit far out. Um, we're definitely going to be wanting to have, definitely going to have European based mentors um, because of those time zones, because of the expertise in that local culture, the local ecosystem. Um, and the rest of the program, the program itself, when it comes to the playbook, in terms of the cadence through the year, um, that would probably stay relatively the same. I think so. Um, because the playbook is just so good. It's something we didn't do for our first year. We introduced it for our second year. Second year went so well. And then, of course, we're doing it this third year. It still went really well. So, of course, we're going to replicate that across um, the rest of the uh, accelerators that we run. So one third of the year towards the playbook, two thirds of the year, bring on those mentors doing events and whatnot. Um, that model will probably be the same between the two accelerators. Yep, that's a good description of it. 
Next question. I have high personal burn, as you described it. Can't avoid that currently. To avoid spending all funding on salary, do you have requirements around how active founders, uh, activities founders can be involved in? Specifically, can they also have a day job? And the answer is yes. Our requirement is that if we're going to give you funding, you have to be full-time. So mm -hmm. you have to be at a point where that makes sense. And all founders who um, want to raise the funding need to go uh, full-time. So if we get into different things where like there was a found one founder, there were two co-founders and one didn't want to go full-time because they had this great consulting practice. And so we gave them the funding for one founder. And that's, that's just how it works. We, and we can't, we can't fund people to work a day job in essence, right? I mean, the whole point of this is that you are, uh, it gives you the leeway to focus full time and, and to make some slightly bigger bets than if you were truly um, still bootstrapped. And I want to say, I, I'm pretty sure the question wasn't asking this. Um, it says, do you have any requirements on activities can founders can be involved in? I assume that means outside the accelerator, but just be just to make sure um, everything that the accelerator plans, all of the calls we do and events and in-person retreats and whatnot, everything that Tiny Seed schedules is optional. We don't have anything. We have things that we're like, we really want you to win microconfs like say MicroConf next year, we're going to have um, a retreat around that. That'd be especially a good one to attend because you have MicroConf, you get to see people in person with that, but it is optional. So if, if there's anyone who is like, Hey, I have a crazy schedule. Um, I just want to review everything afterwards. That's actually totally okay too. Um, we don't require, we don't have time commitments in Tiny but of course, you know, spending the more time you do spend with Tiny I think the more you're going to get out of the program. A question from Timmy. We're a SaaS company. We are not yet profitable. Is that your criteria? We have no criteria around profitability. It is around revenue. That's true. Right. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. that is the, and that is one criteria. Again, that is not the only, um, so we, I think several of the, a lot of companies who've come into tiny seed are break even or losing money and kind of funding it out of other activities. So, um, we don't, you know, if you have massive, massive burn, I think there was somebody who had raised a big bucket of money and was burning through it and had, didn't have a lot of MRR to show for it, which is a bad sign, right? It's like, I raised 500 grand and I'm at 5k MRR and I'm almost out of money. And it's like, well, it's not that you're not profitable. That's the problem is that you spent a lot of money and didn't get any traction. That's kind of a, a signal. So, um, thanks for the question on that, Timmy. Matt Zunert says, can you say a bit about how you think about unfair advantages? I feel like none of the official four unfair advantages trademark apply to me. He's referring to a microcomp talk I did several years ago. So the unfair advantages for faster SaaS growth are just that. They're for the really fast growing companies, the bare metrics, the drips, the, um, I'm trying to think of who else was in that talk, uh, Woo, like Woo Themes, WooCommerce. I mean, these are companies that grew exceptionally fast. It's great to have one of them. It's not a requirement. We, we have a lot of companies coming in that, that don't have them. Um, that it comes back to that people, you know, product market fit and, uh, and, and price sensitivity plus, plus the other stuff. Ranjit. Goshal says, uh, in terms of UK companies, we can use Stripe Atlas to have a US entity, question mark? Yes. And if necessary, headquarters based in North America? You don't need a headquarters based in North America. Yeah, we have several folks who have no, no headquarters based here. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, some, we have some bolded questions. Are these ones that we want to get to? I bolded the ones that I want to get to, yes. Okay, cool. I thought Let that me... would make things easier. Yeah, yeah. Great. Devin Patrick, what if we have product market fit for one segment of the market? small, medium-sized businesses or SMBs, but are going up market to the enterprise and haven't closed one of those deals yet. What do you think about that, Tracy? Um, I feel like that's worth an application, definitely. Um, 
Like if, especially if you have product market fit for wine segments and market, then that's awesome. That's showing that you have need in that market. A lot of people joined Honey Seed, you know, primarily selling, you know, to smaller businesses, and then they move into doing enterprise once mm-hmm. they get the advice and help and whatnot from Tiny Seed. So that's awesome. Udit says, do you accept SaaS marketplaces or is it only SaaS companies? We've done around 4 million in sales in three years on our platform now looking for help take it to a new level. So we accept, we when we originally launched, we said subscription software. And we have absolutely talked to marketplaces. What we don't do is talk to marketplaces who have $400 in revenue or marketplaces who have not only one side of the marketplace. Marketplaces are very hard to do, but if you've done 4 million in sales across it, I would then ask, so what was your revenue on that? Because if your revenue was zero, then you need to get to the point where you have some revenue. You just have to prove that there is you know, a willingness to pay for it. But um, it, it is it is not a non-starter. It is a starter for us. If, um, mm-hmm. That's a good way you to know, put it, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, if you like the application, what are next steps? Oh, this is a good question. Mihai says, if you like the application, what are the next steps? Okay. Tracy so, reaches yeah. out, right? Yeah, so you know, so there's applications to Tiny Seed through the submittable platform. Uh, we start reviewing um, the. It just opened up yesterday. We're gonna start reviewing, like, fully reviewing next week. Um, first, one I say is that you're going to get a response from us. Um, so if it's not a good fit for Tiny Seed and you haven't heard, or sorry, if you haven't gotten a response from Tiny Seed, it still means you are in the process of being reviewed. Um, you will get an email saying you're not a good fit at some point. So we're not gonna ghost you. We're totally gonna respond to every single application that comes in. Um, if you are a good fit, then the, the first step is having a call with me. I. I call my calls like application part two. So I ask more questions that are kind of like basic questions, like how did you get started with the company? What kind of led to the idea? What led to you you starting this product? Um, what else do I ask? I ask, uh, uh, what are some of the marketing channels that you're using? What are some of the marketing channels you're looking to use in the next six, six or so months? So I ask them, you know, totally easy questions. Um, it's things that we want, kind of want to know more about your business. Do you want to put them in the application? make the applications larger, take up more of your time, especially since we know that there's going to be a large chunk of um, applications that are not going to be a good fit. Don't want to waste your time. So you go to a call with me. The next step, uh, we'll be doing a call with Rob and Anar. Uh, Rob, do you want to kind of explain how that goes on your end? Yeah. I mean, each of these is a filtering step, obviously. Some mm-hmm. folks talk to Tracy and, you know, don't don't make it long to the next step. But then Anar and I, we look at the, all the information that Tracy has put down and then look at your application. And then we ask questions that we have. You know, we've we've seen. Yeah. You got to dig into, you know, I ask like yep. these broad questions and then you kind of dig into specifics. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, we've looked at literally thousands of applications, you know, and, and invested in, you know, again, put to, between my investments in uh, private ones and tiny seed, I'm over 60 and that'll be over 80 here in the next uh, month or two, right? That's a lot. It's a lot of companies. And so we're going to ask questions based on things we've seen in the past, but also I like to be educated about things that I don't know about. So it's oftentimes founders will educate us about a vertical or about, um, you know, a, a method they're using or an approach they're using. And that, you know, it can be intriguing to, um, I guess we have our impressions of how things should look. And I'm, you know, we're, we're just having a conversation about learning more about your business. And again, are you fit for tiny seed and is tiny seed a fit for you? Can we help you? Do we think we can accelerate yeah. your growth? Right. Cause if I know, we, can't, we don't want to be those VCs be that are just like, just tell us how awesome we are. No, like right. seriously, we want, like we're here to like really help take you to the next level. 
And we have to ask these questions also to make sure that we're a good fit for you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Kim has a question. What do you look for as an exit for tiny seed? So we had our first acquisition in the last batch, which was really awesome. And we've only been around for a few years. And so it's really awesome to have, say, the first exit. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a hard question because certain founders don't want to exit. And so, you know, that's okay. We have have someone in batch one who I think is going to start cutting dividends soon, which is fun. Um, I, I think that you know, traditional VCs, it's like, if you don't sell for a billion, then it's a big failure because it doesn't return their fund and they need, you know, they need you to keep going. And we're not, we're not necessarily in that same, same boat. Um, or we're not in that same boat period. Well, I also say, if you want to know what kind of boat we're in, um, if you go to slash invest on our website, tinyc.com slash invest, you can read our investment thesis. The thing that we give to investors in TinyC that kind of explain why our model works and it, it, to get people to invest in us. So you can kind of read about our the, the way that we look at the business on that side of things, if that's helpful. Yeah. And I think it less of about, um, exit goals. And mm-hmm. I think more about revenue goals. Like if someone comes to me and they say, am I fit for tiny seed? One of the questions I ask is, do you want to build a seven or eight figure ARR SaaS company? Meaning do you want to build a one to $30 million, you know, bootstrap, mostly bootstrap SaaS company? The answer is yes. Then, you know, then let's talk and figure out if you're fit. If you want to build an amazing $500,000 a year lifestyle business, great. I've done it. It's fucking amazing. Like go do that. But, but you're not a fit for tiny seed. You know, you're not going to be at the, uh, the, whatever the exit multiple or the, um, you know, the, the profit that's going to make sense for any fund to invest in you. Yeah. I got a question actually recently from someone asking if we invest in open source businesses and it's that kind of leads, you know, uh, you know, Open source business, I think, is actually fine. It just depends, again, on that path. Are you going to go to the seven-figure business, or is it something that you know that's that's not your goal? Is that a goal or not? So, you know, it, I think that is actually applicable to a lot of different um, questions we get. Yep. Um, last question, at least on the books right now. We have four more minutes, so let's let's crank through this one. Oh, and of course, now Xander's. <laughs> Xander's <laughs> like more. And, is, yeah. <laughs> all right, which is great. Kara, we will end on time. Caroline Reagan, thanks for your question. Can you elaborate on how you compare to other types of funding and what your value prop is? I could be out of touch with other investment terms, but it seems like your valuations are you know lower. She kind of says lower than other options, which is which is true. If, if you want to, if you want to be two people in a garage and get ten million dollar valuation with a laptop, then you should go to Sandhill Road. You should go to Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, right? Yeah, and, we're and, different than traditional VCs, and yep. therefore our terms are different. And the kind of things that we fund and the kind of things that we do are going to be different. And so those those the terms don't compare between this. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, if you're going to go the venture track, you it's like you're on the track to be a hundred or a hundred million or a billion dollar company, grow big or go home, raise funding every eighteen months. Um, and that's not what we are. And for our model to work, you know, you think about it, we are a two-sided marketplace. We have to have terms that are acceptable to founders, which um, we've obviously proven by having a lot of founders accept our terms and, and be very happy with them. The terms themselves, the core of them were, um, they came, Rand Fishkin, founder of Moz, left his venture-funded startup, came up with these terms for his next startup. So it's like, by definition, a founder came up with it for himself when he raised money. I had an, I wrote an angel check for that. And I looked at the terms and as Anna and I were coming up with terms, we were like, these are actually really good terms. And can we model it so that it also makes sense for the other side of our marketplace, which is the investors who are investing in us. If we don't provide them a return, tiny seed goes away. Yeah, I think Do it's it? worth saying also is like, cause you know, when you're accepting terms from a traditional VC, those terms are based on the fact that you're now on the VC roller coaster. You have your seed, you're going to raise your, your A, you're going to raise your B, you're going to 
exit for $10 million. Tiny C's terms are set up so that you have a lot more options in the way that you grow your company. The terms are set up so you can just continue to run your business, don't raise any extra money, run your business forever, issue dividends at some point. Um, or they're set up to be still allow you to raise money afterwards or you know choose any of these other options so it's kind of like they're the terms are also different because they give you more optionality what do you right. do and could you go to a group of angels and raise money at a higher valuation than at tiny seed yeah i think so especially if you're um if if you have a really good network are they is the dentist down the street or the angel investor who's done five angel investments are they going to have a year-long program with in-person retreats with 40 literally world-class mentors like some of the best in SaaS in every respect at your beck and call to drop an email or to have a chat i'm exaggerating there but and and have weekly mastermind we match you up with folks we have our tiny seat play but you know on and on and on if you don't need any of that if you don't need the mentorship the guidance the network and you just want money you should not, you should not come here. You know, like that, our value is so much more. And I should say we have a year long program as compared to typically a three month program as well. And because we right. wanted to extend all this advice through a full year, um, rather than cramming into like one three month sprint. Cause it also really matters to us that we're good work life matter good work-life balance matters a lot to us. And so we didn't want to do like a crazy three-month sprint like some of these other accelerators. We have a full year to kind of like get these things in place to help you kind of watch you grow. Yep. And then uh, I think the last question we'll take today because we're at the hour, but I like that it's Caroline's follow-up to that question. She says, can you elaborate on why I would choose Tiny Seed rather than crowdfunding or a revenue-based loan? And the first part is what we just said is like crowdfunding and a revenue-based loan doesn't get you all of that, which again, I, in my opinion, is more valuable than the money itself. The other answers though, is crowdfunding puts a heck of a lot of people on your cap table with small investments, usually unsophisticated investors. And it can be, um, a challenge to manage over the long term. Uh, I will say, but, and also if you don't have an audience, um, you can't just go and raise instant money as a crowdfund, right? It's like the people we've seen, you've seen folks the in the doing it. The amount of work that goes into that is, is when you have an audience is like yep. almost near insurmountable. Yep. And everyone, if you look at folks who raised money through crowdfunding, they all have these big followings. And if you mm -hmm. have that, maybe consider it. Personally, we have, we considered crowdfunding and decided against it um, for a lot, for the reasons that uh, there's a lot of complexity that, that it brings up. And it also um, helped that we, you know, our last fund, we were, we raised more than we right. we expected, which was awesome. Right. Almost 28 million. And <laughs> yeah. then revenue-based loans, similarly, it's like, well, in order to get revenue-based financing with anyone, you need to be about 15 or 20K MRR. And you take out a loan and then you're on the hook for that. Sometimes there's a personal guarantee, um, which is you know very different than this. And sometimes there's not, but then at a, a clock starts ticking and then they start taking X percent of your top line revenue out of the business. 6% is usually the number. With Tiny Seed, you keep, as a founder, get to choose to keep the money in the business as long as you want. You take your salary up to that cap, and it's only when you take a dividend out above that, and you decide as a founder when to take it out. So if you want to grow your business and not pay our investment back for several years, you can do that. It's a flexibility. The founder's in control. And that's that's another, uh, I think, big difference with and RBF like Rob and said. Us. We might get our first dividend check soon, but um, everyone else, everyone has been focused on growing their business, and that's totally fine with us. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. There's a great so question. questions. Yeah, I know it's, <laughs> it's, it's super cool. We were coming into this thinking we did one of these last year. Surely there will be no new questions, but there were a lot of really good questions mm -hmm. and we appreciate uh, all of you. We, uh, I really hope that 
you know, you consider uh, applying at a, or at a minimum, um, going to tinyc.com, getting on the list. And we look forward to hopefully yeah. being in touch. Any questions that didn't answer, just send me an email. Hello at tinyc.com right. or DM on Twitter or anything. All that works. All the stuff. Thanks everybody. See you Thanks guys everyone. Soon. Bye. You made it through all the questions. Hope you had a good time. Hope you learned a little bit about how we think about funding and startups and bootstrapping and tiny seed. And uh, yeah, I had a, like I said, I had a really good time. I came off of that webinar feeling super energized and just feeling great about our whole space. Just feeling great about bootstrapping and the control that it gives founders and feeling great that, you know, we're able to help companies, whether it's through microconf videos on YouTube, whether it's through getting people together in person, like, like we're looking to do here in the next few weeks as we have our microconf local events as well as our microconf growth event in Croatia, or whether it's being able to offer funding and mentorship and guidance and the, you know, the strong network in the community that, that Tiny Seed's able to offer. It's just another way to help bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped founders. And if you're interested, obviously you should head to tinyseed.com and apply. Or if you just want to keep up on the latest news, tinyseed.com and get on our mailing list. Really appreciate you sticking with me through this episode. I know it was a longer than usual episode, but I hope you enjoy it. And we will be back in your earbuds again with a regularly scheduled microconf podcast episode here in the next week or two. Talk to you then.